Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the show, we've got Doug Roeder. Doug and I actually know each other, gosh, for a couple decades now. We met through mutual friends and recently reconnected over the sport of gravel cycling. A few years back, Doug reached out knowing that I did this podcast and mentioned that he was heading out to Unbound. I knew he was also heading back here in 2022. So I thought it'd be interesting to get him on the podcast and just talk through his journey with Unbound, talk about this year's event, talk about how he's managing to fit it all in as a professional with a family here in the Bay Area. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. Before we jump in, I need to thank this week's sponsor, our friend at Athletic Greens. AG1 by Athletic Greens is a product I use literally every day. It's got 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. I think what I've keyed in on on Athletic Greens, and remember, I've been a Gosh, I've been a subscriber for many, many years now, predating the podcast. I love that it's an all-in-one supplement. It's quite easy in the morning for me to take a scoop in a cup of water with ice and know that it's got the multivitamins I need. It's lifestyle-friendly, so whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it's all good in AG1. Contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, while still tasting good. Let's be honest, as gravel cyclists, we often go deep into the pain cave and just need a little bit of extra attention to our nutrition and diet just to make sure we're recovering well. Athletic Greens and AG1 has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition especially heading into the gravel race season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. With that business behind us, let's jump right in to my conversation with Doug Roeder. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to join me after Unbound 200. I'm glad you got to the finish line. I can't wait to dig into your adventure out there. An adventure it was. And yeah, happy to talk. Great to see you. Great to be with you. Can't wait to get out with you sometime live on a bike. This will have to suffice for now, though. Indeed. So for the listener, Doug and I met each other. Gosh, I don't want to date us too much, but it's probably 20, 25 years ago. Long time ago. Yeah. Team and training up in the city. Yep. And through think, mutual, and, and mutual friends. Yeah, exactly. So to set the stage, Doug, are you or are you not a professional athlete? 
No, absolutely not. No, not even <laughs> okay. anywhere close. So, so Doug's an endurance athlete, like most of us, and and not an unaccomplished one. You've you've achieved multiple Ironmans, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, and always been fit. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I guess right around the time we met, I was very unfit. I had kind of worked 80 hour weeks all through my twenties and didn't finally got to a place in my career in my late twenties where I had a little bit more predictability on my schedule. And so started joining team and training and did one and only one Ironman with team and training, but in training for that had did a half Ironman and some other events and really kind of felt like a triathlon was a, a great way to kind of get out in the Bay Area and, and try different things. And so I would never say I was a triathlete. I'd do one or two a year, Wildflower in particular, the long course there. But cycling kind of became part of my life at that point. I met my wife on a blind date bike ride. I started spending time up in Santa Rosa for work every other month. And a gentleman up there took me on a lot of road rides, your Pine Flat, East Side, West Side, Sweetwater Springs. Always told me that if I ever had a chance to ride King Ridge, I should. So when Levi started his ride, I started doing that. And so it's kind of I'd pick one or two big things a year to do and train for those. And that was kind of my, my gig. Yeah, that makes sense. And then at what point along the way did you discover gravel cycling? So, yeah, I kind of just for a decade plus kind of kept doing the same couple of things over and over. I think was something I would do with work colleagues. I commuted from the city down to the peninsula once a week, once I had little kids just to get a long, one long ride in a week. And then it was 2018, I think, was the last year that Wildflower happened. And I was kind of poking around for something new to do. And a buddy on the East Coast who I'd ridden quite a bit with and remembered that I was from Kansas said, hey, you want to check out this thing in Kansas? There's this big race, this big bike ride. It's a gravel ride. It's called, it was called, it's on Dirty Kansas. And I said, that's, Ryan, that's, that's ridiculous. Why would I, I go to Kansas to ride a bike? Like I go there to go to a Chiefs game or go see family and friends. That's, that's insane. And plus the roads in Kansas, like, why would you do that? Why would I ride dirt roads in Kansas? And just promptly forgot about it, dismissed it outright. Uh, no joke, a week later, I'm talking to my father who lives, he's retired in central Kansas. He's got 30 cattle. He's kind of a hobby rancher. And he had been staying with a friend at a little town outside of Emporia called Olpe. This was in May. And when he was there, he drove around the Flint Hills. He's telling me how beautiful the Flint Hills were in the spring. The emerald green after the ranchers burn off all the grass, it comes back this beautiful green. And to someone from Kansas, I mean, the Flint Hills, I, I'm from Western Kansas, Central Kansas, went to high school in Eastern Kansas. So I'm kind of from all over Kansas. The Flint Hills are just something you drive past on your way to somewhere else. There's really no there there. There's It's too rocky to farm. There's no major population centers. It's pretty. You see it from the highway, but there's really no reason to go there. And so my father lived his entire life in Kansas and never spent any time in the Flint Hills. And so he, he was there with this old friend toured around the Flint Hills and he's telling me about it. And he's like, Oh, and there's this big bike race. Have you heard of it? And I'm like, yeah, a buddy just told me about it. I can't believe thousands of people travel to Emporia, Kansas, which again, to native Kansas, Emporians kind of the middle of nowhere. It's like for a bike race. And my father tells me that his friend, they're looking to, they wanted to rent their house out to some racers, but they didn't want to rent to strangers. So he said, if you, if you ever want to come to Kansas and do this bike race, you know, you got a place to stay. You can rent this house outside, just outside of town. So I'm like, yeah, no, that's why I'm not, that's ridiculous. Why would I do that? And then a few weeks later, this was like the third, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? We have a friend staying with us, a friend of my wife's. It's an ER doc in Philly. And he had come out to do Escape from Alcatraz, big multi-sport athlete, a cyclocross racer. And he was staying with us at our house. And we're, we, my wife and I had signed up to do Escape that year. And uh, we're talking to, to Dr. Lambert and he said, Hey, you're Doug, you're from Kansas. Have you heard of this big bike race in Kansas? My coach and I really want to do it. And I'm like, 
you're the third person who's mentioned this thing to me in the last like 10 days. Now I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. And he had a plot to, to kind of hack the lottery at the time. Okay. Yeah, they were promoting, and I'll just keep talking. You cut me off, whatever, but I figure you can edit a lot of this. So he, his, his idea was his coach was a woman and there was a, they were trying to get more women to ride the race then. 200 for 200 was the promotion. 200 yeah, women ride 200 that. miles. Yeah. Remember that? And Dr. Lambert's coach, Amelia, woman, really wanted to come and do the race as well. And at the time, you could, I think you still can, you could register as a group. So it was an all or nothing kind of thing where up to four people could register for the lottery together. And he said, well, make Amelia our, our you know, team captain, quote unquote, and mm-hmm. she'll get in. Then the rest of us will draft off of that. And I was like, you know, I have this high school buddy. Uh, that I've run a couple of ultras with in Kansas. He's just the kind of guy, because they also gave preference to locals. I was like, we'll sign him up too. I'll give him a call. And so the four of us signed up and we got in that way on the lottery. And I don't know if our, our hacks helped or not, but one way, you know, we got in. So now it's January of 2019 and I'm, I've been accepted to Unbound. Wildflower had been canceled. So you know, now I've got a, a new thing to train for. And I had to go get a gravel bike and try and figure out what the heck gravel biking was all about. And I had taken an old road bike and put the fattest tires I could on it and kind of started exploring some, some non-paved roads down here. And it seemed like a not insane thing to do. So I went up to my local bike and they're a specialized dealer. So I ended up with a Diverge and set it up tubeless and started training. Great. You know, it's amazing. It, it sounds like you were going to be haunted by Unbound until you did it. With all those That's people kinda, telling you. It was kind of, yeah, that was, everybody was coming at me about it. And then a, a great guy wanted to actually travel to the middle of Kansas. And I think this is a good point to state. It's not, it's hard to overstate how preposterous the notion of unbound gravel sounds to like a native Kansan who, who wasn't a cyclist as a kid, but learned to cycle in the Bay area. I mean, the notion that thousands of people from all over the country or even all over the world would travel to Emporia, Kansas to ride hundreds of miles of the crappiest roads you can imagine in the middle of tornado season is just it's ridiculous. But yeah, you're right. I was kind of being haunted by it. And there was, I was at a point where I needed I kind of wanted to try something new. And so I signed up. And you signed up directly for the 200. Yeah. And there was some debate around that. My my buddy in Kansas who had, who had never, you know, he'd done some riding. He'd never, I don't think he'd ever run, ridden a century before. He's like, you sure we should do the 200? Maybe we should do the 100. And I mentioned that to our, our friends from Philly. And they're like, no, nah, if we're going to travel all the way to Kansas, we're, we're going to, we're going to get our money's worth. And I was like, yeah, no, it's kind of 200 or nothing, Phil. And I kind of felt the same way, actually. So yeah, we went straight for the 200. Yeah, I feel like back in 2019 and, and earlier, like the 200, the, the 100 felt different when you were signing up for it. Not that I've done it, but these days I feel like it's got equal promotion. Certainly the 200 is the yeah. marquee part of the event, but also they realize like 100 is pretty good as well. Oh, and a lot of fast riders. So yeah, no, it's the 100 has definitely become a thing. And uh, yeah, even the shorter distances are, are filling up with people now too, so and so 2019, that was pre-pandemic, right? So the race actually Correct. went off at that point. The race went off. It was hot and humid. And we it was the north course. It was the first year they had switched back to the north course, which I guess they'd done it a few times. And uh, we had a nice, strong south wind out of the gates. So we flew 60 miles with a tailwind, um, made the turn. And on that north course, most of the climbing is kind of in the middle section. So right around the time of day when it gets hot, you start 
put in some, a lot of kind of steep climbs on rough roads yeah. and uh, our two cyclocross buddies took off at that point And I was sticking with my high school buddy and I think the, the, you know, growing up or growing up cycling wise here in the Bay area, climbing comes pretty easy. You get, you can't really ride 10 miles without climbing a thousand feet around here. So I was having a decent time. The heat's a little tough to deal with, but my friend kind of got pummeled and we emerged from those hills into the headwind. We got to council grove and he was suffering from heat exhaustion at that point. And so I ended up riding, riding it in myself late in the race and finished after midnight. And that was that. Still to get to the finish line in your first one, I think that's pretty amazing. Did you, I know I want to talk about this year's version, but I feel like talking about your first experience is also equally valuable because sure. going, going in there naive about what you were to experience, how did you prepare for it? Obviously you, you'd done Ironman triathlons, you'd done these long distance events that might've taken you north of 10, 12 hours. How did you get, what was the mindset going into 200 miles? Had you ever ridden that far before? No, no. I think the longest ride I had done was, you know, what was Levi had his long course, which had a couple of different names, the Panzer or whatever. And so that was kind of 113, 120, I think, okay. with a lot of climbing. And I had done the version where you get off road onto some gravel. So I took my, my road bike on some gravel roads up in Sonoma County, which was a great way to uh, break a carbon wheel, which I did. But anyway, that's a different story. So the mindset was just to get, and I'd trained for some long runs as well. So I'd done some 40 and 50 mile runs. And, you know, when I was training for those, I never, you never go out and run 40 or 50 miles, but you stack up big days, you know, yeah. so you go run 21 day and maybe 25 the next. So I took the same kind of approach cycling wise. I would do, you know, you know, kind of do my normal early morning rides with my buddies and then maybe get out for one 80 or 90 miler and then try the next day to go then ride 60 or 70 gravel miles over in the East Bay on the east side of the Dumbarton Bridge where it gets good and windy out there on those salt pond levees. Felt like that was a pretty good Kansas simulator. And so I would try and stack up a couple of big days and then, you know, every few weeks kind of build back up to that. Yeah. And yeah. the mindset was just survival. We just wanted to finish. We didn't really have a time goal. It was yeah. just get her done. And that's kind of, that's sort of how it went. That's what I was thought about with training here in the Bay Area, because we have so much climbing. I'm, right. I'm very, very unlikely to hit that mileage. Like even if it made sense to ride 200 miles, unless I was riding on the road, I'm not going to hit that mileage, but I can certainly do an absolutely punishing day of climbing. Yeah, no, and that's that is the challenge because I mean, if you go when I go ride eighty or ninety miles, you're going to climb eight or nine thousand feet around here. Now you've got the benefit; you can look at some of the Stravas of some of the uh, gals up in your neck of the woods who kind of tend to win that in Unbound and see what kind of stuff they do. They'll go do one hundred and forty mile crazy stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I for me trying to find you know in Kansas the wind is always a factor. Finding a place where you can ride for I don't know four or five six hours where it's a steady effort is kind of hard in the Bay Area, and so I yeah. found this. You know, again, east side of the Dumbarton Bridge, the Coyote Hills Regional Park, there's a nature preserve. So you can kind of get a 30 or 40 mile flat-ish gravel loop in over there. And I'll do a few of those. And like I said, it's generally windy in the afternoon. So it's, that's kind of become, I can't get anyone to do it with me. So I'm listening to your podcasts or music and the earbuds. But uh, so I do do a little bit of solo training for it. But yeah, that's kind of a key training tool for me. Yeah, it's interesting. It's so often I talk and think about the type of gravel that's underneath our wheels when we go to these different parts of the country, but yeah. climate and wind play equally a big factors. And 
it feeling hard and different. Like I know when I ride in wind, which I don't tend to ride in a lot of, like that's demoralizing to me. So imagining like pointing myself a 40 mile headwind section in yeah. Kansas might be a little difficult. Yeah, but it's great. You can go, you can practice it here in the Bay Area. There are places, but yeah, getting your it's you know psychological training for that kind of torture is is a big part of it. And you know, the other aspect of getting ready for that first one was just preparing to be able to fix my bike. I've got a great local bike shop here at Menlo Velo. They've taken great care of me over the years, but like what 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 am I gonna do if I, you know, flat my tubeless tire or bust my chain in a water crossing, which I ended up doing. So I had to stop. I had to pop out a, a link and fix my chain. You know, there's all kinds of stuff you got to do. If you if your goal is to finish, you got to be ready. And fortunately, I've watched a few YouTube videos and had the right tools to take care of that that first year. But nice. it was it was non-trivial getting across the finish line. And especially, yeah, once my buddy was suffering from, you know, heat exhaustion, uh, we were at the last checkpoint minutes before they were going to shut it down. And uh, he packed up his bike and put it in the minivan. And I rode off into the night by myself with lights and just kind of chased fireflies and other racers. And at that point in that race, you know, the sun's going down, it cools off. It actually kind of became my favorite part of that race. It's just a different trippy thing. On the North course, you'd end up going across this lake, a whole lake. You ride across a dam and there's a bunch of people out in boats partying in the dark and you've got fireflies. And it's just so surreal 70 miles into your day to be in that place that it does kind of, yeah, it's, it's quite an experience for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. So of the four of you, it sounds like, what, just the three of you finish? Three finished, yeah. The two cyclocrossers, I think they re- they finished around 10 p.m. I-, I rolled in after my late start and waiting for my buddy at uh, kind of 1.30 in the morning. But even then, rolling down Commercial Street in Emporia, I had a dozen kids chasing me down the chute on both sides. I mean, it, it was just a bizarre, trippy thing. And my buddy was at the finish line smiling at that point. He had recovered. Uh, so it was quite, it was a really fun thing to finish and a hard, a hard, hard thing to do for sure. Yeah. Huge accomplishment. Now, are you one of those people that can finish an event like that? And someone puts the sign up form in front of you and you're like, sign me up. I'm going to do it the next year. Absolutely not. So the, you know, you know, the wildflower lawn course is a great example. I did, I think I did that thing 16 times. And every time I swore I would never do it again. I was like, this, this was awful. I feel terrible. I'm not ever going to do this again. But then a week later, you're like, I think I could probably do it a little bit better next time. Right. And so, and there was the fact that my buddy didn't finish and he had never DNF'd anything in his life. He's actually the one who talked me into doing my first ultra. And so he was furious, absolutely furious that he did not finish that race. And so he's like, no, we're signing up. We're going to go do it. I'm going to finish. And I'm like, okay, I guess. And then the pandemic hits and it got canceled in, in 2020, but we signed back. And he trained like a maniac all through the pandemic. I ended up spending a bunch of time in Kansas during the pandemic. Um, so he and I would go out for rides in the Flint Hills. I would rent bikes at a Sunflower bike shop in Lawrence, Kansas. And just, they had their diverges set up with tubes and I just was blowing the things up right and left. And so decided I, I bought a Kansas bike, found a salsa cutthroat, which is a monster truck of a bike yeah. with 29 inch mountain bike wheels and got that, put it in my buddy's garage. And so that's, uh, so he, he used that to train on, used that as sort of, and, and got himself a better bike as well. But we were kind of committed once. And I think had he finished, we may never have done it again, but the fact that he didn't finish, we kind of signed up to, to get him over the finish line in 2020 yep. and had two and, years to train for it. And so were you successful getting him across the finish? We did. We, we got it done. Went out at a nice slow pace. Uh, we did not have the rest of the crew with us. One of them had a baby there. So it was just the two of us that year and his, 
80-year-old dad who lives in Bakersfield came to be our support crew. So we had cell phone coverage in the Flint Hills, show him where to go. It was the same north course we kind of all set up the day before, but we went out again, south wind, hot, humid, just punishing, but we took our time, got the nutrition right. You know, any of these long events, they're, they're eating competitions as much as anything, but he had had two years to train and, and we got it done. We finished around 1230. So again, I guess they call it that the breakfast club. So we both, we crossed the finish line together, just a wonderful day out on the bike. And it was really gratifying to, to get him over the line. And that was when he was, he told me that we were going for the thousand mile chalice. And, and what uh, is that? So, you know, if you ride the 200 race five times, they give you a chalice and it's a part, it's on the, you know, in the awards ceremony on Sunday morning. And yeah, it's, it's something. So he he and I are never going to, you know, win our age group. That's just not who we are, but we could, we're pretty good at not stopping. So that's the goal now, apparently. And so, yeah. Now you're slightly off, you're slightly off sequence with your buddy. You may get yeah. there ahead of him. Are you going to go oh. for six if that's the case? I don't know. We'll see. And, 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 you know, crazy things happen. I may be injured. I may not make one. So you, you just don't know how these things are going to go. But it is. it has become a goal here now in our 50s to try and finish that thing five times. And uh, so, yeah, we're even more off sync once we get to 20 to this year's event. I'll tell you about that. But it's become a thing. You know, I go back there. I see family. It's, you know, as complicated as life gets later on with work and kids and everything to have a day or two a year where all you got to do is one simple thing and it may be a hard thing but it's just one it's 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 i really enjoy it and to just wake up in the morning with a with an old friend and try and bang out 200 miles on a bike is uh, it's refreshing psychologically and it kind of helps me focus my training so uh, yeah we're going to stick with it until we can't here the next few years i love i love how this all comes back to your connection to to kansas and it's got to make it even more special just to be there and be on that journey it is. And it's, yeah. I mean, the, on that Northern course, there are some of those roads that I swear I, I hunted pheasants on with my grandfather when I was a kid. And it's just surreal that again, thousands of cyclists from all over the planet are riding down these roads, getting flats, just dealing with terrible conditions. Um, you know, you might have, it, it, it's the beauty is stark and it's, I'm not going to say it's as stunning as the Grand Canyon. It's not, but it, there is a similar discrepancy between the pictures you see and what you experience there, just the vastness of it just can't be captured on film. And when you're out there with this, you know, huge crowd of people, it's, it's pretty stunning and, uh, and it's hard. And uh, yeah, my relatives, my aunts and uncles, uh, I, I got buzzed by an aunt and her pilot boyfriend in the, the school bus, yellow Piper cub in 21. Uh, so it's kind of become a thing. Everyone looks forward to me coming back and doing it. And it's a lot of fun uh, for that reason. And then, it's kind of crazy too. You've got all these great Bay Area athletes who come out there and, you know, Allison Tetrick from Petaluma, she's a household name in Emporia. You know, the winner, the first year we did it was Amity Rockwell. Uh, it just was amazing to me. The Bay Area cyclists who've made their names in Nowheresville, Kansas. It's just kind of cracks me up. So it really is. You were talking about pacing in your 2021 effort. Do you find it hard not to get sort of wrapped up in the pace of everybody else? Were you and your, your buddy sort of... <laughs> Just specifically disciplined and chastising each other. Don't chase that wheel. We got to go slower. That's, you know, even though our focus, especially after having the one DNF in 19, was to maintain a steady pace, not go out too fast. You get that tailwind. You get in a group. Drafting is wonderful. But then you get to that first rough road. And at that point, 
you know, we saw Quinn Simmons running along the side of the road, you know, pros have blown up. You hit the rough flinty gravel at speed and bad things start happening. But it's also great to be in a pack. We met two high school buddies who were half our age from Wisconsin, from some little town. They were doing their first race together, first bike race ever, first bike event. They signed up for the 200. So we started riding with them and we're trading poles. And uh, next thing you know, you know, there's not a cloud in the sky, but you feel a spray on, you know, a moist spray on your back. And I'm like, what's going on back there? Oh man, you've got sealant spraying all over the place. It's like pinwheeling out of your wheel. And so, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the fun, especially early on. And man, we sprayed sealant all over two counties, but never went flat. But yeah, <laughs> then we reeled it in that the hills eventually or the heat will reel you in at some point or the headwind yeah. or ball three. But yeah, it is. It's difficult, especially early on when you're riding with a pack. Yeah, since I haven't been out there myself, I'm finally getting a picture of it after having spoken to so many people about this event, in particular, my conversation recently with Mark Allen, and he was describing you know, you're following some wheels and you'd see someone get antsy because they wanted to pass someone and they would think, oh, I can just kind of ride over this rocky section really fast. And sure enough, those flint rocks, it's a recipe for a flat tire right there. Yeah, it's just right there. And then every water crossing, I mean, this year, every water crossing, there were at least half a dozen people in the next quarter mile fixing flats. And I learned that first year in 2019, I, I dinged my chain in a water crossing and ended up having to fix it that you got to be real careful, especially in that murky water. You can't see the bottom. You have no idea how deep it is. It's all kinds of sharks. And uh, yeah, you learn some things. But. So what's your what's the technique then? Are you just kind of easing off and not kind of trying to keep full speed through the water sections? Definitely. Yeah, you got to slow down. Or if you see people, if you see someone hit a line and they emerge safely, you take that line. If you're kind of on your own at that point, depending where you are on the race. The northern course didn't have that many water crossings. This southern course, especially with all the rain in the weeks leading up to it, a lot of water crossings and I think a lot of flats came out of those water crossings. So it's, yeah, you just got to be careful and they can be slick. And there's just a whole wide variety of treachery out there. In 2022 had a new variety of treachery that the last few years hadn't really been known for, as I understand it. Indeed. And we were all excited. The Southern course, a little bit less vertical, kind of had a reputation for kind of more rolling hills rather than the sharp. I had been in Kansas for 10 days, like leaning up to the race. And so knew that it had rained a lot, knew that we were in for some wet conditions, but the temperatures were pretty cool. And in the kind of the day before it, you, it kind of looked like it might not rain at all. Uh, but then some storms popped up overnight and, and yeah, but the, the cooler temperatures were just wonderful. I mean, you rolled out in the morning and it was, a lot of people were chilly right out of the gate, but yeah, not much wind either. That was kind of a nice thing. And uh, it was just kind of a nice, fun, easy roll. And again, we were trying to, trying to get everybody over the line. So we, uh, we got to all the first neutral water stop. We were climbing the hill up to that at around mile 40. And I'm on the left side of a double track behind this woman. And I hear a guy shouting over my shoulder on your right. On your left, no, we're coming up the middle. And I look over my shoulder and a dozen dudes just blazing up this hill right down the grass between the two tracks. And it was the lead group from the 100-mile race. We shared the course with them up to that 40-mile point. They split off and we kept going south. But as they blasted by, the guy across from me said, hey, that was Peter Sagan. And I'm like, what this seven-time green jersey winner just blew by me in the middle of Kansas. How weird is that? And the day just got more bizarre from that point on. So let me ask you a question. So that going into this one in 2022, it's your third year. What are a couple things you learned in the first two that you took, whether it's changes in your gear, changes in what you had when you were coming to your pit station? 
Yeah, lots of real food. Pit stations be very disciplined about checking the chain, lubing the chain, get more water than you think you need because 40 miles might go by in a couple hours or it might go by if you hit a stiff wind and some obstacles or a flat or something, it could take a lot longer. And as chilly as it was early in the day, I mean, the sun did pop out later in the day. They got real hot. So if you kind of planned your hydration based on what you were doing early in the day, that, that didn't work later in the day. So to always take more hydration than you need, a real food versus just, you know, all goose, we'd roll up some sandwiches or whatever, different things. And then we carry a lot of extra, you know, CO2s and a tube and, and things to fix punctures, which fortunately we didn't have to use this year. But uh, I think just being prepared for everything so that you don't end up in a situation where you have a mechanical that requires you to bail is yeah. to come all the way there and have to abandon because you didn't have the right tool or you know ran out of whatever, it would be very yeah. frustrating. And so It'd that's be a shame. Those are the key tra- Trying to train up to 200 miles, you, you put in so much time and then to go do that and have something that you could have solved thwart yeah. you would be terrible. So exactly. were, were you wearing a hydration pack? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I got, I, I take a two and a half liter hydration pack and then two bottles. The other big learning is you got to keep the bottles covered or have them someplace safe because of the water, it's all cattle ranch land. And especially when you're spraying a lot of water everywhere, once they get muddy, you don't really want to drink out of them. So people rubber put baggies over them, yeah. things like that, or some of them now have caps on them. So yeah, you learn a few things like that. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. So Interestingly, you know, when I've been hearing accounts of the 2022 event, depending on your pace, people seem to have had very different experiences. Yeah. So when when you listen to the pros, they seem to have gotten through some of these hugely muddy sections, either got through it before it rained, so they just rode rode the road when you guys might have been hiking it early, slopping through mud, yeah. or they had, you know, it just hit them at a different point in the race. When were you encountering mud and what was it like? Yeah, mile 125. We we rolled into that and I was on, you know, the salsa cutthroat with the 29 inch wheels and 2.2 inch tires. And I'm like, ah, this thing's this thing's a mountain bike. I can ride through this no problem. And I made it, I don't know, maybe 50 yards and just was slipping and sliding. And then it was time to hike. And the smart folks, maybe some of the folks with cyclocross backgrounds picked up their bikes so they didn't keep accumulating mud. Fools like me pushed it along until the mud kind of clogged my wheel and then I was stuck. Fortunately, I had noticed in the shops in Emporia the previous day, everybody was handing out those paint sticks, the paint stirring sticks. I was like, huh, yeah. maybe they know something that, that I that I should know. And I, so I grabbed a couple of those and they were incredibly useful for cleaning the mud off. And that's, you know, I kind of tried a couple different tactics, but pushed through it as fast as I could and got to the end. And there was this kind of a stream where you could rinse your bike off. I hit it faster than my buddy did. And when he, he hit it a little after I did and it slowed him down a lot more. So I ended up waiting probably 20 minutes for him to get through it. And it kind of crushed him carrying his bike through that. He came out the other side and was just an absolute wreck. Um, so, and at that point the sun came out so we had just kind of, I'd had a nice break. He had suffered through carrying his bike through this stuff. Yeah. If you think um, about it, you know, he's got a, you know, call it a 20 pound bike. He probably had 10 pounds of mud on it and gear, easily. you know, it's just backbreaking work pushing a bike. They just weren't designed to be pushed. Push or trying to carry it with a you yeah. know bag strapped underneath it and a bunch of gear inside it. I mean, it was just a freaking mess. And uh, yeah, everybody was in that stream washing their bikes off. It was a pretty miserable 
scene and there were these two little kids that were they were promising everybody that that was the last mud um which it ended up not being and i'm still oh, no. those, i'm gonna go find those two little kids but i had a sour folks and these kids were trying uh but yeah it was pretty brutal it was a good kind of to yeah. get us both through that and i just think about that at mile 125 having to kind of reset and just having gone through that moment and say i've got 75 friggin more miles of gravel to go Yep. Not even thinking about there being mud because of the lying kids. You thought you were yep. going to be cruising back into Emporia. Yep. So you guys get back on your bike, you start hitting it. Is your buddy starting to recover a little bit? No, because there was a there was some decent climbing right after that. And around mile okay. 130, there was kind of a long climb. Like I said, the sun was back out at the time we were doing it. And his stomach just failed him at that point. He got sick on the yeah. side of the road, tried to remount, tried to keep going and couldn't do it. He was done. Yeah. So he was upset. I was upset, sad for him, really sad for him. At that point, I kind of looked at my watch. I was like, huh, if I take off now, I know I'd kind of been resting a little bit waiting for him. But I was like, I could, I could get in before midnight. I could, you know, and the party closes yeah. down in Emporia at midnight. So I'd never experienced the post-race party. So I was all motivated to make some, some lemonade out of the lemons and, and took off at that point. What yeah. A tough, I, I, what a tough moment for you. Just, I mean, to know that he had, he had had that issue a couple of years back and to go on and go forward when he's sitting there on the side of the road, which obviously I'm sure any friend would want you to continue but I'm yeah. sure you rolled out with a little bit of a heavy heart. Well, I just knew that I'd have to come back one more time. So yeah, I, you know, <laughs> these things happen and he was upset. I was upset. I felt a little bit of a heavy heart, but mostly like, okay, this is just, things happen out here. And yeah. he called the Jeep and they came to get him. Uh, I failed to mention, you know, his dad, who's 81 or 82 and had been our support crew the previous year, he had so much fun being our support crew that he had signed up for the 25 mile race. And had bought Excellent. a bike, and was, and so I was. He was looking forward to just getting back and seeing how his dad went. He'd received some texts from his dad, um, a picture of him in the pouring rain, and saying how much fun he had had. And so he was excited to get back and see his dad and meet me at the finish line. So we were actually in pretty good spirits. Surprisingly, uh, it's just again, it's one of those things that happens. And if you can't eat and your stomach's failing you, you can't go on. So. He's a, he's a pretty upbeat dude. And so I took off at that point and rode hard for 70 miles. I finished around 1115 in the dark and party was still going on. So I got, got a couple of free beers and some tacos and it was, uh, it was really fun. And we, uh, we had, I didn't mention this. We had given a few folks rides from Kansas city down to Emporia. And that was kind of a crazy experience too. Two folks, two cyclists from New York. Apparently there's a New York city gravel scene. And one of the racers was a 25 year old with a bike packing background. And uh, she was coming to do the 200. The other uh, racer was a 37 year old father with a road racing background. He was there to do the hundred. Neither of them had been to Kansas before. Their flight had been delayed and they got in at like four in the morning. And so their friends had gone down to Emporia. They needed a ride. They got on the Facebook page and my friend had noticed them and we had room in the car. So just riding down to Emporia again with these two folks who had never been to Kansas before. They're New York City gravel riders and they're they're coming here to to challenge themselves. It was it was pretty shocking for two like high school buddies from Kansas to see that. And so yeah. one of them came across the finish line while we were sitting there around midnight and it was kind of but again, it's the range of folks you encounter there, folks like the last gentleman you had on, Peter Sagan, gravel riders from New York. It's just, it's it's very strange to me and, and kind of fun. Have you noticed it blow up even further from the 2019 experience to now in terms yeah. of the scale of everything? The scale, the range of backgrounds, it's it really has kept kept going. And it's it's 
again, you know, we have the, some of the most amazing cycling on the planet here in the Bay Area, but I still get a big hoot out of going and riding crappy roads in Kansas with thousands of people from all over the world. It's it's a funny, weird thing, but but it, yeah, I think that I mean the team who started it always just had this idea of what the community experience was going to be like for the event. And always, and this is what I, I love about every event organizer that I talk to. It's a it's a love letter to your local trails, right? You're, yep. You've got the opportunity to put on an event, and you're going to just want to showcase everything that your hometown has to offer. And that's when yeah. we get the best events, like when they come from the heart. And it's inspired. I mean, there's a there's a gravel ride in the Kansas or Missouri area like every weekend now. So it's there's a lot of folks, you know, and then the people kind of replicating the model in other states. And, and I mean, the grasshoppers have been going on out here forever, but it, it it really kind of created a template, I think, for a lot of folks to create races in places where folks hadn't thought to do it before. And a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's, and I've talked to with a bunch of event organizers about sort of the economic impact of bringing these types of events to rural communities and the dynamics that come into play. You actually get supportive city councils and land managers. Yes. Whereas, I, you know, I, start, I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get the high school kids coming out. Whereas out here in the Bay Area, you get nothing but resistance because no one wants anybody to come ride here. Yeah. And as big as Levi's ride got at one point, I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people. I think you, you might meet a few locals who'd be out cheering on their front lawns, but a lot of folks just resented all the cyclists, you know, hogging the roads yeah. that day. And whereas out in the middle of Emporia, I mean, everybody is incredibly happy to see you. It's, it's really kind of fun. Yeah. I imagine out in the smaller communities or even going by someone's house out on the prairie, like they're out there just enjoying the spectacle that comes by once a year. I think, you know, in the, the what's the, the name of the town where the second checkpoint was, Madison, I think Madison. the entire town showed up downtown, you know, and that was, they were just having a big old party. And it's, yeah. yeah, so the communities where they have the support stops really show up in force. You got volunteer kids, you know, manning the crew for hire. And it's just a, yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm for the racers and the race. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thanks, Doug, for sharing so much about this story. I love that you've been doing this. I love that Gravel's kind of reconnected us socially, yes. and we'll definitely get out and do some riding together at some point in yeah. the near future. Congratulations on the podcast. It was uh, really warmed my heart to find this as I kind of discovered the whole Gravel scene. I was oblivious to it, like I said, until you know a few random people clued me into this race in Kansas, and it's it's been really fun to reconnect and see see what you've done with this podcast. And I hope to get you out to Emporia. We got a bed for you in Opie, Kansas. Anytime you're ready to come out, I love it. The draw continues to get heavier and heavier for me, so I think I'll get out there one of these days. Sounds good, Craig. I'll be there. Cheers. Right on. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Huge thanks to my friend Doug for joining us and huge kudos to Doug for getting across that finish line, which sounded like a tough deal this year. If you're interested in connecting with me, I encourage you to join The Ridership. Simply visit www.theridership.com. That's a free global cycling community. Lots of smart and passionate athletes in there to connect with from all over the world. If you're able to support the show, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Or if you have a moment, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. Another thank you to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. They've been a longtime sponsor of the show and a product that I really enjoy and use every day. So be sure to check it out at athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride. 
that's going to do it. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.